0: It's a Jackalope Carnival! Jack, Jack, Jackalope! Jackalope Carnival!
1: Hello, and welcome to Jackalope Carnival, a podcast where we look at human beliefs through myth, history, the paranormal, and downright odd. I'm Becca. I'm Eric. And we'll be your host through the sideshow of stories. Have you ever had something happen to you that was so odd, so out of the ordinary that people don't really believe it happened? Mm, maybe it was more than just seeing it. Maybe it affected you in some way. Um, I'm guessing that you all have or you probably wouldn't be listening to this particular podcast. Um, so your homework tonight is to go and tell someone about it. So tell them about your odd story for us. I've had this happen, and you have to probably guess that Eric has too. I have a lot of these little stories, but once I was in a Trader Joe's and a random man was in a Mad Hatter costume and he asked me to dance. So, of course, I did. Now, my sister and my niece were there with me, so I didn't have to worry about people not being there to believe me. And you can bet that they stayed as far away from me as possible and probably pretended they didn't know me. But again, I had witnesses, so if I told someone I danced with the Mad Hatter in Trader Joe's, you know it sounds a little far fetched, but my sister could corroborate. Eric, you ever have that happen? Well, I- not the Mad Hatter specifically.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Can I tell my my later Hosen story?
1: Of course.
0: Yeah, you, I was. We were talking about this last week, but yes, I one time was going to the local public house here in Baltimore. And uh, this is back in my twenties and I was meeting a friend there and I walked in and I sat down and this is a place that I went to quite often down in Fells Point for those of you who know Baltimore. And I sat down and there were men to my left who were wearing lederhosen and I thought that's odd. And then I looked to my right and there were men wearing lederhosen. And then like I kind of turned around and I noticed that literally everyone in the bar was wearing later Hosen. And This was
1: not a German themed bar.
0: No, no. No 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 no. This is a regular old bar in Fells Point. Nope. Yeah. So I felt just really weirded out by this and so I got up and walked out. And like I'm sitting outside and I'm kind of talking myself down like I'm sure there's just like a polka convention in town or something, right? There's got to be a logical explanation. Or maybe I just missaw this, right? Maybe I saw some, you know, a couple people in lederhosen and then looked around. Like surely not everyone could be wearing lederhosen. And so I'm sitting on the steps next to the place and I I get up and I walk in because I'm like, my friend will be here soon. So I walk in and now (laughs) as I open the door, they've, dude broke out the squeeze box. He's playing accordion. They're dancing. It's Blob's Park. It's a, it's a polka madness. And I Spun on my heel and I walked back out and I sat down and I'm like, I'm going to wait till my buddy gets here and we're going to figure out what to do next. So we're sitting there and as I'm waiting for him all of a sudden the door swings open and in a single file line, every single patron in the bar later hosen clad indeed came marching down the street and just as the very last one rounded the corner, uh, my buddy came around the other corner and he's like Hey, Eric, why are you sitting on the step? Why aren't you inside? And I was like, no reason. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I'm not even gonna try.
0: Even, yeah, I just, I, yeah, there's the, you know, it's the thinnest, yeah. it's the thinnest thread I, anyway.
1: And I actually can't wait to hear some of mm. uh, our listener stories on this one. So, yeah, these are quirky. These are fun instances, right? But what if they were scary?
0: Right. Well, Yes. Today, Not, uh, the one I'm going to talk about is scary. Well, actually, both of them are scary, truth be told.
1: Well, yeah. I and mean, this reminded me of something that happened in 2016. Um, and maybe some of you remember this, that there were uh, a gaggle, a bunch of scary clown sightings that occurred across the There has the got Canada. to be a
0: collective noun for clowns. There,
1: there is! Be. And I learned it for you all!
0: <laughs> Becca, what is it? What's the collective noun for clowns?
1: So, it's it's... it's alley an alley of clowns so here's the thing
0: <laughs> that's so much the more collective
1: <laughs> term for a group of clowns is called an alley mm. but if you google it there are actually a lot of alternatives out there and i don't believe that mutiny and murder of clowns are real i think that those are done by people <laughs> who are afraid of clowns
0: anti clown uh,
1: well yeah lobby. the anti clown movement or right. Right, wait for it. Coulrophobia or coulrophobics; those are people who have a fear of clowns. All right. So I think those are probably given in bad faith. Um, <laughs> the The Times of India, I know, out of looking up anything, The Times of India, because there were a lot of different um, explanations, but they had one that I liked, and it was basically that clowns would put their makeup on in an alley so it was eventually called a clown alley and if you have like groups of clowns that go clowning they will call themselves the such and such clown alley so a clown group is a clown alley
0: there you go
1: i really hope though that and i propose this that someone out there name an alleyway coolrophobic alley right so fear of clowns alley wouldn't that be like the best and scariest alley out there
0: I think there you might know. be a band name in there somewhere, but I'm not. I, I can't quite. Can't quite. Figure I think it, out. it
1: would be like our, our artsy clown, sort of. You're Anyhow, just saying random words. So now. I'm. I'm. Yeah, I'm getting out of here. So <laughs> I'm getting out of this. But basically, um, this this clown sightings, right? This was apparently so serious across the U.S., Canada, eventually the U.K., Australia and New Zealand that, according to the independent U.K. newspaper, the Russian embassy felt the need to issue a warning to Russians abroad That people were in clown suits acting maliciously in an attempt to, and I'm quoting from their Twitter, which was translated into English, but they said to cause fear and bewilderment. So people were walking around in clown suits causing fear and bewilderment. Beware travelers. Uh,
0: 2015, when Russians' biggest worries were.
1: 2016.
0: 2016, when Russians' biggest fears were, were clowns.
1: So, this happened, um, they actually believed that the first one in 2016 was, was in Wisconsin and that this was a promo for a film. So <laughs> as part of a film promo they were filming their clowns walking places and then they had a Facebook and you could say where you saw the fa- scary clown. I don't know why this sort of captured the zeitgeist of 2016, which actually really makes sense to me as I look back, but <laughs> 2016 scary clowns were the spirit of our time the more that people thought about it i guess the more that people decided to do it because more than just an urban legend it appeared that police departments all over you know these countries started getting inundated with clown reports so i think that perhaps this is why it stuck in my head because i live in one of the states that had a lot of clown incidents
0: (laughs) the the Um, band name is clown reports by the way
1: clown reports or clown incidents? No, I think I clown reports. Are we like an ICP tribute band? No.
0: <laughs> you went <laughs> Anyhow, there. You went there.
1: So, um, a woman near Winston-Salem, North Carolina, said a clown wielding a machete tried to lure her into the woods. And because they had already heard about incidents like these the, in South Carolina and Florida, because of course Florida.
0: <laughs> of course. <laughs>
1: Police took her seriously, um, but no clowns were found. A few towns away, children said that clowns tried to lure them into the woods with candy. Was it all just panic? Hmm. Well, it seems not. It seems like they are started having reports that people were firing shots because America at the clowns. <laughs> There was reports of people saying, let's go get those clowns. I don't think any clowns were actually harmed, but there was some hate for clowns. Now, without these police reports, this might have come as something of urban legend, but people had photographs and people had police reports. So what we're talking about today is basically, you know, what sounds like an urban legend, but isn't. And, you know, the clowns didn't harm anyone, but what if they had that actual malintent? And so how would that go down? Well, guess what? Eric's going to tell us a little story that has some similar elements that happened well before our clown sightings.
0: It did. And it, it straddles the line between urban legend and fact. Actually, I went uh, looking around at this and uh, it's, yeah, this is interesting. So let me just let this story unwind. Let's let me not give you the overview. Yeah, so so take a journey with me if you will. So here in Maryland we have a couple of native legends. Probably one of the older ones is Snallygaster Chessy, we've talked about before actually. Uh, but we also have kind of these animal men, like goat man. But my favorite is probably now Bunny Man. Although Bunny Man, he sounds like a cryptid, but he he's not. He's not a cryptid. He's something different. And he sounds like an urban legend, but I'm going to make my case here for that. He's not that either. And I'm going to do it in three stories. I'm going to tell you three stories about the bunny man. Story number one, play along at home, spot which one of these stories is factual. So story number one. In 1904, in Fairfax, Virginia, which is one of the counties in Virginia just across the Potomac from Maryland. So for those of you who may not know the geography of Maryland very well, uh, Washington, D.C. is surrounded on three sides by Maryland and then the Potomac River. And just across the Potomac is Virginia. So the bunny man stories, they straddle both sides of the Potomac. And so he's been seen in D.C., he's been seen in Virginia, he's been seen in Maryland, all around the D.C. area. So, over in Fairfax County, Virginia, which is one of the counties just outside of DC, in 1904, there was an asylum for people who had been convicted of violent crimes and who were also mentally ill. And they closed the asylum and they were transferring the inmates to other places. En route in 1904, the bus actually tipped over, I guess, because in 1904, buses, you know, were terrible. And uh, people, you know, came violently insane came spilling out everywhere. And they eventually were able to track down most of the folks pretty quickly. But there was two men who they had a hard time tracking down. Uh, One was a guy by the name of Marcus Wallister. And the other was a fellow by the name of Douglas J. Griffin. And Douglas J. Griffin especially was one of the more dangerous men to be on the loose. Because he had in the previous Easter apparently murdered his family yeah it was kind of scary that he was out he was out you know running around so the they made a search party and they went looking for these two men and they were combing the countryside because in 1904 uh, Fairfax county was almost completely rural uh, as a matter of fact what i learned today was that Fairfax county was rural well into the almost the end of the 20th century and only started kind of suburbanizing uh, in the last couple of decades.
1: You know, with names of roads like Backlick, this does not <laughs> surprise me.
0: <laughs> yeah, there you go. They were going through the, you know, kind of combing the woods looking for these men, and they kept finding skinned rabbits with sometimes half eaten. And they were assuming that these were kind of men who were like, you know, in desperate situations and kind of doing what they could to, uh, to survive off the land, I guess, until they came to an overpass, a railroad overpass. And there hanging from the overpass was Marcus Walster. And he had been mutilated with some kind of bladed weapon. And there was a note tied to his toe uh, that said, you'll never find me no matter how hard you try. Signed the Bunny Man. And apparently Douglas J. Griffin decided to call himself the Bunny Man. He was never caught after that. And so he kind of, you know, slid into to Maryland legend after that. And
1: or hopped.
0: Or hopped. Yeah, right. Hopped. Carved his own path. Sorry. So anyway... Yeah, and you can you can see how that kind of story would absolutely lend itself to campfire stories, right? So you're camping in your local, uh, you know, Boy Scout Girl Scout camp and telling stories, and of course the Bunny Man story is going to come up because he's still out there, you know, that kind of thing. So that's story yeah, number one. Perpetuity. Mm-hmm. Yep. And again, it was a rural area, so finding him was actually pretty difficult. So story number two. This happened much later in the 20th century. So October of 1970, there were two young people in their early 20s. The young man was a Air Force cadet and he had gone to a football game and he was meeting up with his girlfriend and they were going to a local parking spot to, you know, do cuddly things, I guess. And some dude popped out of the bushes, and he was wearing a white bunny suit. And he screamed something about trespassing. They, the kids or the young people, kind of gunned the engine, got out of there. But upon them rolling out, this dude in a bunny suit chucked a a hatchet through the back window. And so he rolls up to the police station, hatchet in hand, and was kind of like, you know, there's some maniac out there in a hood. You know, here's the hatchet that he threw through my window. But neither he nor his girlfriend were hurt. And so there was actually no official police report filed for this. So it didn't leave much of a paper trail. Although the the fella did go to the local press. And then story number three takes place a little bit later from that in 1971. Near the same area of Fairfax County. All this is in Fairfax County so far there was a housing development now in 1971 things were suburbanizing in northern virginia and they were doing so very rapidly and that could play into something that we, we can talk about a little later but a security man security guard who was hired to look at the the development during the weekends and during off hours to make sure nothing happened to it saw a man once again in a in a bunny suit this time it was he saw him clearly head to toe bunny suit guy standing on a porch And he starts shouting at the security guard, talking about, you know,
1: trespassers, and you're all trespassing, and you're ruining things around here. If you
0: don't leave, I'm going to mash you on the head. The guy's quoted as saying. And he starts hacking at the porch with his long-handled axe the he has on. So he lost the short hatchet. He chucked that through the window. So now he's got a long-handled axe he's taking to it. So the security guard's like, oh, crap. I got this guy who's threatening to kill me with an axe. So he goes back to his car to get his weapon. And when he gets back, uh, the guy has gone. He's run off into the, into the woods. So those are the three bunny man stories. Now, the interesting thing comes from trying to figure out which one is real. Now, I think I, you remember which, which one is real because we talked about this pretty extensively. When which we were two earlier. are real? Exactly. There's actually two that are real. And the last two are 100% real. Or at least I'm convinced they are. And the first one isn't. And here's who reported all the different ones. So I'm going to throw some shade at Aaron Menke because he's our competition.
1: <laughs> I really. don't know who that is.
0: Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> That's so much better. Your shade is so much better than mine. Um, <laughs> Aaron Menke is competition to our podcast. Like I'm p- competition to Mike Tyson for boxing. Anyway. However, he reported story number one as if Except it were. I
1: know who Mike Tyson is. <laughs> oh,
0: you just don't. You don't let up. You don't let up. Yeah, he reported it as fact, story number one. But there's really, even though it has a, a treasure trove of of details, and normally when you get an urban legend, you don't get details like that. As a matter of fact, one of the definitions of urban legends, and there's there's no official one, but there are several features that I think a lot of folklorists agree upon. One of my favorites comes from a collection of stories called Too Good to Be True, uh, which was collected by Jan Harold Brunwald. He is a professor emeritus at University of Utah, and he talks about, I'm going to actually just quote him here from Too Good to Be True. He says, the popular fables, he calls them fables or, you know, he's kind of using different words, but he's talking about urban legends here. The popular fables describe presumably real, though odd events that happened to a friend of a friend. And they're told by somebody who's credible, and they're relaying them in a believable style because they, in fact, do believe them. But it's not truth or fiction, and again, I'm still quoting other uh, Professor Brunwald here, but it's not truth or fiction that defines urban legends. As with any folklore, the defining qualities are oral repetition and variation. The elements, as he kind of puts them out here, are they're told by the teller as if they're real. He expects the listener to believe they're real. They have something odd about them, sometimes even bordering on the supernatural or the fantastic or the terrifying and then they get told over and over by word of mouth and in their telling and retelling there's a ton of variation of them and that's exactly what i think happened with the bunny man stories turns out there were a lot of people apparently calling up Fairfax County Library to check in there was actually a post on a message board way back in the day i want to say in the 1990s early 2000s that gave the the first bunny man story And one of the lines in it, because I read, you know, I read a a little snapshot of it and it said, like, check in with the Fairfax County Library if you want to believe it. So lo and behold, there is a fella who kept getting the phone calls. And that fella is a person by the name of Brian A. Conley. And Brian Conley is, as far as I'm concerned, he's the bunny man expert. Like many of my heroes, he is a historian and an archivist and a librarian. But he works for Fairfax County Library and the best source I found on the whole internet about the bunny man is on no less than the Fairfax County website, the county website, like the .gov funded by the taxpayers of Fairfax County website where they give – yeah, they give Brian. They
1: know they know where their tourist dollars come from. <laughs> right.
0: Oh, there's a Bunny Man beer and everything now. Like they've really kind of embraced this. But Brian Conley's his account is wonderful, I and mean, go ahead and look at it. It's it's really good. Uh, there's also a pretty good account in by Matt Lake in Weird Maryland, uh, which is a book that kind of collects uh, Weird Maryland stories, as the title seems to suggest. So,
1: since you talked about a her a uh, group of clowns, being, mm-hmm. do you know what a group of bunnies is or rabbits?
0: It's not a Warren, is it?
1: No, that's where they live because you're talking about urban legend. So officially, a group of rabbits is called a herd. But if you start looking it up, they're saying like on the Internet, it says that they're called a fluffle. I oh, do not I believe that. that for one minute. I want that to that be they true. Really call a group of rabbits a fluffle. I want that to be true. I think true. that's an urban legend.
0: <laughs> but I want it to be true so bad.
1: <laughs> uh, you know, but it, I mean, one day, maybe. <laughs> but,
0: so Brian but. Conley is the historian in charge of the bunny man, as far as I'm concerned. He's the bunny man expert. And he really went through and separated the wheat from the chaff, the bunny chaff.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> he took, so he went in and took a look, and he, he dismissed the first story outright. Apparently, it was just a posting on, you know, it's, it was like a, a creepy pasta before creepy pastas were things. Uh, but he then was he actually stumbled across a paper by some people in the University of Maryland system who had collected Bunny Man stories from the Maryland side of the Potomac, uh, from Montgomery County specifically, I want to say, probably from University of Maryland. And that led him eventually to a Washington Post article from October of 1970. And the reason why the Washington Post, it's the paper record of Washington, D.C., picked it up is because it happened, the first story happens in October. So they're like, woohoo, crazy, you know, Halloween story. And... They they publish both of these things as true. And he then, and I'm saying he being Mr. Connolly here, he takes an interesting tack on the story at the end. He says that this really could be a story about urban sprawl. That if you lived in Fairfax County, you grew up in Fairfax County, it's rural. You're living in farming communities. And then suddenly in the late 60s and early 70s, these housing developments are popping up like mushrooms all over the place. And he was complaining about trespassers. Uh, There's even a a claim in one of the accounts that he's talking about people dumping things on his property. And so here's a a person who's reacting strangely and poorly to.
1: It's relatable when there's nothing you can do but put on the bunny suit.
0: Right. I'm not advocating bunnies. Yeah. Yeah. You know, he didn't hurt anybody, but you really shouldn't throw axes at people. I'm just saying. Now, that's – these stories are all very innocent, I think, because – I mean, the first story is not innocent at all. It's actually pretty horrifying. But the real stories are innocent because no one actually got hurt.
1: Innocently throwing axes at people, <laughs> as you do.
0: <laughs> he threw it in an open window. It was a warning. Oh, my gosh. The best thing. The The Wikipedia page about Bunny Man is actually pretty good if you do go there. Because they, the, of all the sources I read, it was Wikipedia that has, an, has a picture – of the hatchet itself that fairfax county has put on a plaque and like there's like a little like brass you know explanation like this is the bunny man hatchet and you can see this it was so innocently
1: thrown all in jest
0: (laughs) it's all in it's all in good fun we threw hatchets to the window as was the fashion of the time so this is all funny but your story is not funny
1: no. no, the clowns and the bunny man. I mean, the bunny man was throwing hatchet- hatchets and axes at people, but people weren't hurt in general. But what happens when you do have that outrageous story that sounds like you've made it up, it sounds like an urban legend, but you're not believed or someone hesitates because it does sound so far out there. And my story is about that. It's it's a tragic story of what happens when the witness isn't believed. And I think that this story struck a nerve with me for a few reasons. The story itself has been fictionalized in the 1992 movie, The Candyman. It resurfaced really recently, not just because the Candyman movie came out with a sequel or or remake, but a woman on TikTok shared a video of a secret room behind her bathroom mirror. And what I'm talking about is the tragic story of Ruthie Mae McCoy, which we generally know about from an article from the Chicago Reader that's dated September 3rd, 1987, by a man named Steve Bogira. Bogira is a man who reported on poverty and racial injustice since 1981. And his article's called, They Came In Through the Bathroom Mirror. And it tells the story of Ruthie Mae McCoy, who was a woman who had a lot of, who had the card stacked against her, in a lot of different ways, which probably led to her untimely death. I think the other reason is that I have um, lived in, there's two reasons. One, this happens in a project, a housing project. And I have lived in housing projects, but in Scotland, the housing projects I lived in were called Gracemount in Edinburgh. They've been torn down, but they were the, the towers. So there's some things that I... I'm not saying that it was anywhere near Southside Chicago, but there were some things like structural issues that just didn't get fixed because it was cheaper that way. I had, you know, mushrooms literally growing in my bathroom. The other thing is, is because I once had a neighbor who had some mental illness and I could really hear him in the bathroom. So when you were in the bathroom, you could hear him quite clearly. When you were in other parts of the house or the apartment, you really couldn't and it it scared me sometime. The first time I encountered him, I thought he was talking to his dog. So I heard voices. I thought he was talking to his dog. And I'm going to be honest, even if I had heard voices from time to time and known he had mental illness, I don't know would have really scared me, but there was a couple instances that did. And one was he came over one day, knocked on my door and told me, don't call the cops. Okay. Don't call the cops. And I was like, what?
0: In the top five things you don't want your neighbor to knock on your door and say, that's gotta be in the top three.
1: Yeah, and but then he follows it with, I'm gonna be fighting demons all night. It's gonna get pretty loud in there. Don't call the cops. So yeah. <laughs> I went to the police station.
0: <laughs> in complete complete disregard of your neighbor's request. <laughs>
1: Went to the police station, which they basically, I think that he was known to them and they basically didn't do anything. They were probably like, what a Karen, can't a dude fight demons in his own home? (laughs) (laughs) He's not hurting anybody, but demons that eventually I lived next to this man for two years. Eventually I got used to it, except for one day when he was trying to screaming, break through the walls and hitting the walls with a crowbar. This was all pretty much, you know, I, I kind of would avoid the bathroom because I could hear him talking very, very clearly. So
0: that and this, the mushrooms that were growing in it,
1: that this wasn't the. Yeah. So anyhow, this story is about a bathroom that had some weird construction. So apparently what was going on was she was living in these housing projects called the ABLA projects, and they had an architectural problem. It seemed to be to the people who designed it a good idea. If you got took off the screws in the bathroom medicine chests, you could take them out, go into the wall, and you could reach the plumbing. So they wouldn't have to, you know, cut open walls and paste them back together to get to the plumbing features. This was a problem because your neighbors could get into your building. So the apartments connected. Um, some say below and above, and then the ones that had. Bathrooms with their mirrors against each other. And so people had been breaking into each two homes, especially if you had a vacant apartment next to you in these Chicago housing projects. This was something that residents knew. They said some residents would tie their doors closed at night as you would. Yeah, no kidding put furniture in front of the bathroom door so that people could not get into their homes. I don't know how seriously this was taken. I've heard people tell of this, but I haven't seen any documentation, but what we do know is that on April 22nd at 8:45 p.m., 911 got a call from a frantic woman who turned out to be Ruthie Mae McCoy. And Ruthie Mae McCoy had had struggled with her mental health. She was known for being kind of paranoid and seeing things. This is all documented. So possibly the police knew her. Possibly she had called nine one one. I don't really know, but we do know is that she calls nine one one on April twenty second, nineteen eighty seven, at eight forty five. I'm going to quote Bogira Steve Bogira, who wrote the article that we know about her um, from. And what she says is, I'm a resident at 1440 West 13th Street, and some people next door are totally tearing this down, you know, and she's frantic and she's trying to explain what's going on. And the dispatcher says, what are they doing, ma'am? And Bogira goes on to say, McCoy's response is unintelligible on tape, but apparently the dispatcher caught her gist. They want to break in, he asked. Yeah, they throwed the cabinet down dispatcher from where McCoy I'm in the projects I'm on the other side you can reach can reach my bathroom they want to come through the bathroom the dispatcher seems pretty confused that what she's trying to report although I don't know Eric does that seem kind of clear to you
0: Uh, at the very least it seems like a woman in distress and there's someone trying to break in
1: yeah so it does sound like someone's trying to break in but the 911 dispatcher says writes disturbance with a neighbor before he sends the cops out so he does send the police to her but not to answer a break-in to answer a disturbance with a neighbor so that might have been the first thing that happened that he misunderstood her or thought what is she talking about they're on my bathroom they want to come through the bathroom and so the police come it took a little bit time to get there. I think they had a pretty good response time personally, because I think they were there by like 9.05 or something, 20 minutes. And, you know, maybe they took a little longer because they just thought it was a neighbor spat. And also it's in a place, it's in the projects. It's in a place where they probably got a lot of calls and didn't rush there. Um, they probably didn't think it was anything important, but around 15 minutes of McCoy's original call, Neighbors had called in 911 and said they heard gunshots. So the police have had many calls at this point. By 9 10, there are four officers and they're pounding on her door, but she's not answering, obviously. They tried calling, they asked for her number, the phone's not ringing. I mean, the phone's ringing, she's not answering it. They tried to get a key, so they actually leave, go to the, you know, management or the center of the projects to get the key, it doesn't fit. So there's all these little things. They're like, should we break the door down? So they don't break down the door. And it's explained in this article that they're told that the person who's in the apartment can sue them for breaking down the door. It sounds a little iffy to me, but whatever. We know that by 945, they're gone. They can't get to her. They call it a day. The next day, though, they get another call. Um, because McCoy has known, she talks to people, um, she's known around her neighborhood, and she usually visits this neighbor. And this neighbor says, look, she usually comes by and she hasn't. So eventually, the police go out again. But they don't go out again until the 24th. So mind you, she calls 911 on the 22nd. It is now April 24th. They figure out how to get in the apartment without breaking down the door, um, and they find McCoy in the bedroom lying in a pool of blood. Mm. She'd been shot four times and she's dead. So what happened? Well, again, she lives in this bad housing project in the South side of Chicago. We know that there's this flaw where indeed people can get through her bathroom medicine cabinet. And that's apparently what happened. Some people had seen her, she had gotten extra money on her disability check, and she had bought some clothes. So she now has enough money where she's thinking of saving up, um, thinking of moving out, and she's able to buy herself, you know, everyday things. So people know she has a little more money, they come in intending to rob her, and they also kill her. Because people aren't quite sure what she's saying
0: or if this is real
1: so it does sound like an urban legend it has all the makings of an urban legend something coming through your bathroom mirror
0: right and if you just i mean if you don't know the backstory about the hardware and you're like someone's coming through my mirror to kill me that sounds like either supernatural or insane
1: well and she had been treated for some mental illness so again is she someone who you know, had called 911 and she was known. I doubt it. I think truly that they just didn't quite understand. I know, and this is what I, when she says they throwed it down, I personally have during stress, or sometimes if I'm trying to say something, I'm too excited. Sometimes I'll say words, not quite right. Sure. Um,
0: Infamously,
1: I saw a woman I was in colorado springs with my sister and i saw a woman in the winter time crossing the street wearing no pants and i wanted my sister <laughs> and my niece to see it so i'm like trying to get the words and i said her pants was off pointed pointed pointed
0: <laughs> or that infamous time with the nun with the go-go boots during the time when the, the squirrel stole your bag
1: yes exactly yeah <laughs> these things that you see you, you get excited so who knows how clear she was able to be because she was in a stressful time. But that is the sad story of Ruthie Mae McCoy.
0: It really is. That's awful. It it
1: is. And, you know, it's been told a lot lately. I didn't realize quite how much because I hadn't heard of the story before. And I do have to tell y'all, when I mentioned to Eric that I thought maybe we should talk about some kind of urban legend, I I said the bunny man. I've never seen him jump on an idea
0: faster. (laughs) Well, you know, I love me some local legends. So this is—I uh, I like it because I actually teach a lesson about uh, folklore, urban legend, and history. And history is just as far as this is my this is my personal take on it. History is just another stories, right? Just another set of stories, I should say. Just like folklore, just like urban legends, it's just that each has its own set of rules. When we play the history game. There's a set of rules we use to, to craft a story. You have to use primary and secondary sources. You care about whether or not the person who's telling, who's telling the account is close to the event that happened in time and space. In folklore, you have a different set of rules. In urban legends, you have a different set of rules. So I've I've taught this before. I've taught this particular story before. So I was excited to, to talk more about it. And you know as well as I do that just because you're playing uh, history by one set of rules – That doesn't necessarily mean the story you're telling is true. I don't know where we go with that one.
1: (laughs) Well, we go with Eric is now requesting you have a campaign to make sure that the term fluffer of rabbits
0: is absolutely
1: um, now the go-to name for a group of rabbits the and since we're, rabbits.
0: yes that is one thing and since we're this is my final story that um, happened to me that sounds like an urban legend but is actually 100 percent true the second sketchiest motel in missouri so from baltimore if you get in your car and you drive west on i-70 you will get so tired that you can no longer drive or at least me I can get so tired I can no longer drive, and that always happens in Missouri. I can make it from Baltimore to Missouri in a single shot, and then around Missouri, I do have to stop. And so I have a couple of, I have a collection of stories from me grabbing the first motel I can find in Missouri, and hilarity ensuing. And this is the second sketchiest motel in Missouri that I stopped at. And I can't remember the name, so I can't even tell you to warn you against it. But this place was so sketchy. That when I got into the room, the first thing I did was was look around and say, there is no way I'm going to unpack my clothing here, and I'm going to sleep on top of the bedspread tonight. And oh, look at that mirror. And I turn the lights off, and I walk up to the mirror, and I cut my fingers around the mirror. And Becca, I'm not kidding. You could see like a room or a hallway behind the mirror. Mm. And so- (laughs)
1: Bunny (laughs) men
0: there were not but I took I took I took a sheet like a blanket from the closet and I like put it over the mirror and I was like oh yeah
1: I would have noped I would have noped out of there after that I was so
0: tired that I ended up like I caught like you know a couple of hours of sleep and then hit the road yeah
1: I will I am never too tired to nope the heck out of something (laughs) like that ever well, that is terrifying. Um, I wish you could remember the name, although isn't that part of how we find urban legends, Eric? It's they a friend of a friend, sketchy right? Sketchy on details. That's right. So we are Chlorophobic Alley. Oh, wait, no. <laughs> that's our We name. are
0: a fluffle of rabbits.
1: <laughs> we are Jackalope Carnival. Join us again in two weeks. Um, wado.
0: Take care. Jackalope Carnival! Um. Um... Uh. Like... Like... Like...
1: Um... It's like... Um... Um...
0: Um... 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 And so, um... And so, um... Which is what the quote is, uh... Uh... And so... Um... 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 uh like, um, with, uh, but yeah. um,
1: so mm-hmm. um,
0: you know, I'm um, uh, you know, um, you know.